Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Whiz. I'm really excited for today's show, where I'll do some on-air coaching with Retail Ready student Lynn Wilford Scarborough. Lynn is the creator of Cheesa Pleasa, which produces gourmet, chunky cheese spreads in savory, spicy, sweet, and ethnic flavors that are perfect for meals, snacks, and entertaining. They're sold in the Dallas-Fort Worth area through grocery stores, farmers markets, and brewery pop-up events. And today we are talking about scaling up her business and that challenging stage of being stuck with finding a co-packer and figuring out your product assortment to drive sales. We do live coaching like this in Retail Ready, both on our twice per month group coaching calls, as well as daily in our private Facebook group. And I'm so excited to give my listeners a sneak peek into what Retail Ready support looks like from me and let you guys be a fly on the wall with my convo with Lynn. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode, so stay tuned. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is sponsored by Retail Ready, my online course for emerging food brands who are looking to grow their wholesale business. I've been teaching Retail Ready for three years, and I've had over 150 brands enroll in the course. Through videos and workbooks and checklists and templates and live coaching calls with me, plus 24-7 access to me and my team in our private online group, Retail Ready has all the tools that you need to increase your sales through wholesale accounts, whether that's in traditional brick and mortar outlets or through e-commerce platforms. I'd love to see you join us when the course opens again. So jump on the wait list to be the first to know when I welcome new students. You can find that wait list in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com under the heading retail ready. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the show today. Hey, Allie. How you doing? I'm doing great. I am so excited to catch up with you. I'm so excited to talk through some of the things that you're you're struggling with down in Texas oh, right yes. now. Yeah. Yes, please help me. Help me. <laughs> but be- before here we are, the heat of summer, and trying to do markets and make product and deal with uh, people who are you know. And losing employees and kitchens, it's crazy time. You got a lot going on. So absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about today. But before we do, before we dive in, can you tell us for, for my listeners who don't know about Cheesa Pleasa, what is Cheesa Pleasa and why did you start this business? Well, let me tell you briefly what Cheesa Pleasa is. We make gourmet, chunky cheese spreads that are keto-friendly, at least most of them are, except for the sweet ones, in savory, sweet, spicy, and also different ethnic flavors. Mm. And they're sort of similar to pimento cheese, but they're very, very different because they have, a, we call it Cheesa because it's got multiple cheeses and it's got lots of flavor. And we have been in proof of concept now for two years. And oh my gosh, we've sold, we've made and sold over 20,000 of these guys wow. in the last two years. But how it all started, it really wasn't ever in my 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 plan. I, I joke. <laughs> 
book and I say, funny thing happened on the way to my destiny. I had the wrong plan. Well, I did. You see, <laughs> my mom was in the nursing home about um, 10 years ago, and she would want me to bring pimento cheese sandwiches to her. Well, I don't like pimento cheese, especially pimento cheese from the store. I never grew up with it. But mm-hmm. she would have me make pimento cheese sandwiches, and she wanted homemade type. And I said, Mom, if I'm making it, I'm making it my way. So I added more cheese and more flavor. And Mom was a real foodie, so she loved what I made. And I made her a savory pimento cheese that was different than anything on the market with less mayonnaise and with more flavor. And that's how it happened. And then after Mom passed, I, I do farmer's markets. I used to sell at farmer's market uh, jams and jellies and different things. And I took pimento cheese one day, sold out, then sold out the next week and the next week. And then after that, a store asked me if I'd start bringing it to them. And, and that's what happened. It was one store and then another store and another store. And, and I've been doing markets and it's, uh, it's growing. It's growing. Yeah. We've got a really good following because we make flavors like pizza, dill pickle, wasabi, and things that, uh, that, that, that the old folks and the millennials and the kids love too. Yeah, I I'm so excited about your your growth. So you said that you've been in business for about two years. And I love I, I think a lot of people can relate to this story, Lynn, because so many people start their business because friends and family love their product, right? <laughs> we hear yeah. it all the time. Like my mom thinks I should start my cheese spread business. And then sure enough, sure enough you do. And and I love that for you it's worked out so well. Well, yes, yes, mom liked it, but uh, it was it was the other people that started eating it that kind of drove this thing because yeah. it wasn't, I mean, it was not something I had any experience in or wanted to do at all. I mean, it was, yeah. it wasn't on my list because I was out of the world. I've worked in television news and was in media for years. So it's a very, very different world. Uh, especially contract packaged goods and making food. I mean, last thing I wanted to do, I mean, I have three college degrees. Why do I want to be back in the kitchen wearing a hairnet, <laughs> sketchers and an apron, you know, wearing jeans all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. love it. I love it. <laughs> yes. But there are ups and downs, right? And Absolutely. I know, and I know, so Lynn, you joined Retail Ready before COVID went down. So like you yes. and I had like started our relationship, started to get yes. to know each other. And then sure enough, like COVID, COVID hit mid-March and I, you know, naturally, like I got nervous for my retail ready students. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it was like, it was like a gorilla got on top of the freeway and took my business plan and shredded it to the wind because that's (laughs) what happened when COVID hit. So tell us, yeah, tell us, tell us what, what happened for Cheese a Please? Like where, what happened in the spring for you? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was focused. I was focusing on expanding the business into the snack world for convenience stores and entertainment centers and several different sports venues here. So snacking was where my focus was. But when COVID hit, kaboom, Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to talk to you and nobody was leaving the house. So nobody was buying snacks and and there wasn't any sports venues going Mm on. So... um, But the good news was because I was established in these smaller mom and pop stores my sales just skyrocketed. I yeah. mean, I could barely make up, you know, we, 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 we had a hard time keeping up with the demand. And fortunately, it created all these new customers. So we still have very, very strong sales post-COVID in the deli sections. 
So, you know, where one thing just collapsed, the other thing went right through the roof. And uh, the bonus part was I have had a premium product and I've been very focused on premium products, but when I, because of COVID, the grocery shelves at Delhi were just getting cleared out. Yeah. So my 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 store said, "Would you?" My store manager said, "Would you make something? Would you make some other products for us?" I remember going, this on one of our coaching calls. You were like, I mean, "Allie, like you couldn't keep it on the shelf." And 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 I love this idea where the store actually multiple stores came to you and they were like, "What else do you have? Like, what else can you make for us?" Right. Yes. Yes. And I, I, if I'd had more people, because I lost all four of my folks, yeah. my help, I had to train new people because I had moms and people taking care of elderly. Yep. And so I have, yeah. I've had to retrain crews at the same time, but they came back and the, and I had been hammered into my head with my other mentors. Don't increase your SKUs, keep it small. And, you know, just like you've, you've taught us, you said, keep a small number of SKUs. For- I did tell you yes. that. Yeah. I know. I know you told us this and I was going, Yes, Allie, I will. I will limit my SKUs. But, but then, what do you do when the store says, "Bring whatever you have. We'll test it." Mm-hmm. You got to do it. So yeah. I created um, some. I created some non-dairy, some bean dips that are vegan friendly, not made with any lard or anything like that. And also, I made some other dips that were lower priced and and to test it. And they're all doing well. And in fact, I had one store call me yesterday and say, we're already out, bring more. So it's like, so that's kind of what happened. It created opportunity, but, but also you had to think of going for the lower price point. Right. And that's one of the things that we, that we're going to talk about today. So I know Lynn, we brainstormed three different things that you, that we, that we could talk about. We've got this one idea of, you know, you, you mentioned right at the beginning of recording here that, um, that so many different segments, so many different audiences relate to your product. So there's that idea, like, how do we narrow down on that target audience? I know you want to talk a little bit about that co-packing conundrum, that the chicken or the egg situation that always happens with co-packing. And then yes, little- it's purgatory. It, it is purgatory. It is purgatory. <laughs> You're in CPG purgatory for sure. And then that, that idea of oh shoot, I've expanded my product line. I've got so many SKUs now and my cogs are going up with with cheese, with the cheese pleasa specific SKUs. What do I do now, right? Okay. Yes, yes that's exactly it. Where do you want to start? Before I tear my hair out, help me, Ellen. <laughs> Where do you want to start, Lynn? Let's talk about the brand issue. Okay, great. Because- I want to start there too. Because do you do, yeah. do you want yeah recap is, yeah see I'm taking the class and I'm in my segment about what's your brand what's your market well I've been doing proof of concept in the market doing sampling in stores all over Dallas now Dallas is an interesting place I've been in the urban areas I've been in the North Dallas area where I've got a higher Asian population I've been in South Dallas where I've got a different demographic minority population so what happens is that. I find one area where I have more moms versus more men. It, and when I'm in the liquor stores, it's where it's primarily guys that are mm-hmm. buying from me. Yeah. And they're good customers. So it, my challenge is, do I, because I'm in different venues, do I have a different brand ID person or is it, is there one that fits everything? 
Yeah, I love this question, Lynn. And it's I think so it's hard. It is hard. And I and I find that a lot of people get stuck here, right? Because I am. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? You're like, yeah, Allie, duh. Like that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> and I think one of the challenge challenges that comes up is that you see, you know, you see 100 percent all of these different types of people who are buying your product, right? You see mm-hmm. older people, younger people, male, female you know, all these different demographics of people. Millennials. Here. I mean, millennials. millennials yep. Yep. So crazy over the stuff for, for it. So yeah. And one of the things that we really talk about in retail ready is this idea of narrowing your target audience so that you can speak to that singular person and that your branding mm-hmm. and your messaging really like, you know, hits them over the head. So they know that brand is for them. So Lynn, one of the things that I keep coming back to, especially when we think about creating these inclusive brands that, that do capture more than one demographic is this idea of moving away from moving away from the demographics here and thinking more about the psychographics and thinking about why all of these different people connect with Cheesapleza and why they're picking up your product line. So can you find any commonalities between them? Like maybe from the emotional level? Yes. Emotionally, it's people want, they want great food, big flavor, fast. Mm. I mean, they want instant. They want something that's an instant snack, an instant meal. Moms love it because they can feed their kids. They can just crack it open and serve it. They can crack it open. They can have lunch. They can crack it open, hand it to their husband. They don't have to fix dinner. So it's like, but it's flavor that they don't get tired of and that they, that, that, that they, they tend to crave. I mean, I had a, I had a, you know, a a two-year-old here and kept just licking the cheese off the chip. Wouldn't eat the chip. Just kept licking the cheese here. So I, that's what moms love. The kids are eating it. You don't have to force it. Okay. So that makes sense to me, right? And I think that that probably relates directly to why you've had such high sales during COVID too, because you solve this problem of people who have been cooped up in their houses, who are frankly like sick and tired of cooking dinner seven nights a week. And like, they just want that. They want something different. They want something quick. They don't want to think about what they're eating. And your, your product is really solving this solving yeah. this problem of like, what the heck am I going to eat on night 120 yeah. of cooking dinner, right? And, and I think it's also the adventurous flavors because mm. millennials, they love a comfort food, but they love adventurous flavors. They yeah. love the dill pickle. They love the hatch, yep. they love poblano. Mm. They love, you know, the Cajun. So it's like, and that people can get a flavor that matches their personal, their personality yeah. and profile. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, I think Lynn, the key here is focusing more on the commonality on that emotional connection that all of these different groups have to your brand rather than like, you know, finding that 35 year old mom of two young kids who uses it at 4:30 p.m. right like we want to instead focus on, you know, you've, you've proven that all of these different channels, all these different people are buying your product, but having that, that, um, Mm -hmm. that emotional need that's solved by Cheesapleza is so strong. And that's where I would focus. um, I totally buy into that. 
I totally yeah. because and and people also what I had originally started developing with it is I've showed people ways to use it because I took out the mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. So consequently, it pairs with everything. Mm-hmm. And when I'm at when I'm at the breweries, I do a flight of cheese to match the flight of beer. Oh, <laughs> yum! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or the or when I'm doing wine tastings, the flight of wine for this. And when I'm at you know, and then what I do is I show how to use it with different burgers, show how to use it on eggs, potatoes, sandwiches. Yep. So it's, it's, it becomes instant gourmet, easy and accessible, just open and serve. Yeah. And so then all of your messaging goes back to this idea of the problem that you're solving for them. And like, who cares if it's a 65 year old Asian man or a 23 year old white lady or a, you know, 30 year old Latina, like I don't care about that in the demographics, mm-hmm. right? If they're yeah. all having this problem of, oh shoot, <laughs> what am I, what can I eat that's solving this d- COVID dinner crisis? Ali, that um, really helps. That okay. really helps me because that is the emotion they feel. Yeah. Because I've got I've got the guys that are 65 that don't know how to cook, but yeah. this tastes homemade. Yeah. I've got the moms who want homemade but don't have time to cook. Yeah. I've got the millennials that <laughs> couldn't care less about cooking, but just throw it in the carrot. I've got it, but I've got great flavor and I can impress my friends and have an instant party. So it's like instant accessible flavorful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That and works. so, that okay, totally cool. Works. Cool. So and like, that, and that makes me feel less guilty for not being able to post a picture in the retail. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a four-headed monster. Yes. Yes, exactly. And you know, I think they're, you know, I'll tag you in our student group if you haven't seen this image yet, but there is, there is this image that I like to use of, uh, it looks like a bullseye, right? Where we've got our core mm-hmm. audience in the middle, and then we've got these concentric circles that come yeah. out from the core. And it uh-huh. is important to realize that, you know, many different people buy our products and that's okay. But if we can dial in on that, like center, emotion that's that commonality that they all have and we can speak to that over and over and over again that's really when we're going to win as a brand so that's way better image than what i was thinking of was the the from a uh, little shop of horrors feed me <laughs> yes oh my gosh <laughs> feed me cheese up that's kind of <laughs> i love that okay cool so i feel like we just I'm rapid good. fire I'm, answered I'm, your your branding thing i'm great with that totally okay Great. All right, Lynn, I'm going to have us pause for a quick second. I'm going to drop in a sponsor and we will be back to answer question number two and number three. Hang tight. If you've been enjoying these episodes, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and to have my assistants working through your strategy on these topics. Well, you can. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our monthly coaching calls, and I would love to see you in there as well. Retail Ready enrollment opens again soon, so jump on the wait list in today's show notes or at foodbizwiz.com and save your spot. All right, Lynn. I'm so happy that we solved that branding, that branding conundrum so quickly there. I know. I've been, I've been hung up on that class, not being able to fill out everything to move forward. 
So I hear you. I hear you on that. So come, I'll just say as once we're done with this, with this recording, like as you mull it over for the next couple of days, obviously come back to our student group and and we can continue the conversation there. If you absolutely realize that you'll probably realize that you've got some questions, but, Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the second thing we want to talk about is the, about being in CPG purgatory, right? Right. Oh my gosh. It is. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me where you are now. Well, I have been trying to find one of my business consultants that said, Lynn, you've got to find a co-packer. Well, I've been trying to find a co-packer since 2017. And the issue is the co-packers don't want to talk to you till you've got enough volume. And the stores, because I've talked to several big chain stores, they don't want, they, they like your product, but they don't want to talk to you until you got a co-packer and you can give numbers. I can't give numbers because I can't get the co-packer to pay attention to me. And the co-packers and a lot of the co-packers for cold pack and dairy have been bought up by the major grocery store chains. Yeah. And the other, the ones that I found that are down in Austin, they're competitors. I can't use them. Yeah. So the issue is, finding a co-packer or thinking outside the box. Do I stay with the co-packer or just go ahead and set up a manufacturing center, which is not what I wanted to do, but if <laughs> I have to, I have to. Yeah. This is such a good question. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head there where, it, you know, I originally said it's like a chicken and an egg scenario, which, which, how do you get, <laughs> how do you move forward when the co-packer wants sales history and the retailer wants a, promise of capacity and you, you can't do either without the other. Right. Right. Um, okay. So I've got a couple things to suggest here. And I think one of them is, well, the first one is really realizing or concluding whether or not there is a co-packer that fits your needs. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if at the end of that, if at the end of the day, you say like, Allie, I have looked high and low and there is truly no co-packer that is going to be able to fulfill my needs. Then like, it doesn't matter (laughs) whether or not we can convince them to produce your product. It is, that's where the the search stops, right? So yeah, well, we found, I found one in the area that I thought was perfect, but then I found out his prices were three times higher what they want. And another person used him and they were inconsistent. They couldn't get a quality product out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, it's really important to realize that Lynn. And I, I know you know this, but I'll just reiterate it. Yeah, it is. Co, co-packing, when you negotiate with a co-packer, when you enter into a co-packer agreement, it's, it's a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So you have got to do, you know, really thorough vetting of that co-packer. Mm-hmm. And if, like you said, if you're getting red flags, if you're hearing other people who had inconsistent quality, um, you know, who didn't have the production runs go like they wanted, that mm-hmm. those are red flags. And you don't want to be in a relationship with, with someone that you don't trust, right? Well, and then I went to a co-packer because I was looking at doing State Fair last year, mm-hmm. using my snack, doing the snack product launch. And um, ended up not doing state fair because the costs were too prohibitive. And then the co-packer went and took my concept and pitched one of my major client uh, focuses. And I mean, I just kind of went, ouch. Yeah. (laughs) That hurt. I'm sorry. That's, well, it's, I know that this doesn't help you, but it is a testament to how great your product is. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful. Thank you very much. I so appreciate it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. Okay, I'm so flattered not. Yeah, exactly. How frustrating. So figuring out whether or not a co-packer exists that meets your needs. Okay. Right? Well, and want- Lynn, I think I'm I'm gonna throw it out there that you might need to expand your search, like re- regionally. Yeah, I'm I'm going to because one of the groups that got wanted to push me into Oklahoma and mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay into Texas, but if I need to, I need to. The other thing that I'm looking at is um, going ahead, increasing my my production of the product, and then giving it to a company that does the packing. So yeah. they don't yep. make my product. That allows me to establish quality control of it, and all they do is the packing and the sealing and that sort of stuff. That may be an interim step that I go till I get to the point where I'm ready for the thousand pound loads. Yeah, you know I. I feel mixed about that only because it's one more set of hands, I know, I know. right? And then I'm picturing, I'm, I'm literally like in my mind, I'm picturing you like shipping this refrigerated product all over the state of Texas from your, you know, production to your packer and then to your stores. And it just, yeah. That, yeah, and it, that gets expensive too, right? Like every time you have to transport it, it adds a cost to it. So, so it's like, how could you find that ideal co-packer in the first place? Have you looked on partner slate? Have we talked about that yet? I did. I haven't looked on partners. Okay. Partner slate is a website. It's literally partner slate, like the stone.com and I'll link it in the show notes here and I'll send it to you afterwards, Lynn, but hold on. I'm writing this down. So I don't forget partner slate is a co-packer database and they have a, monthly subscription. It's, I don't know, like 10 bucks a month or $14 a month, something that is Uh totally affordable. You get on there, you put in all the requirements that you need for your co-packer search. And then once you, once you get all your leads and you're satisfied, you cancel your subscription, right? So I'm totally, I'm on that right now. Excuse me. Can I go do that? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, okay, we're done with the interview now. I got to (laughs) go. Um, Lynn, I actually, I've got a promo code too. It's, um, Gosh, I think it's Allison Ball 25, uh, but I'll, I'll look that up. And again, I'll link it in the show notes. It's not an affiliate code. I'm not making any money off of this. It's just a promo code. Um, but I, we have several retail ready students who have found successfully found their co-packers. I'm totally, I'm totally on it. And yeah. the, the other option was there's a co-packer here that did a lot of the, you know, the uh, vegetable packaging and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a problem. I can't use the same sort of packaging they do because the cheese doesn't have a shelf life with that. It doesn't sure. test well. But yeah. um, they're thinking about re- revamping their production facilities, and they want to talk to me about possibly working with me on that because they already have the cold pack facility. Yep. Okay, so, cool. So that's exactly what I was going to say for yeah. the second thing, Lynn, is you might decide that – while you don't want to manufacture yourself forever and ever, while you don't want to build out a menu, well, you don't want to manufacture yourself forever and ever. And you also, it doesn't sound like you want to build out a a enormous manufacturing facility either, right? You don't want to become maybe in three years, but not to packer. And so where is that happy medium, right? I have had retail ready students who 
you know, collaborate with that co-packer and that co-packer says something like, you know, well, we don't have exactly the right, the right equipment for you, but we do have the capacity and we have the desire. If you purchase this equipment, we oh. will do this for you. Or like there's something, again, it goes back to that idea of it being a partnership. Um, and so I, I just, I just say it to remind you, Lynn, that there might be a possibility where you find a co-packer who is, you know, 85% the right match and yet they're missing one piece of equipment or they're like, you know, something. That's it. That's okay. Because I've got my equipment. Yeah, exactly. I've got that source. I've been working on that for two years. So I'm totally confident to be able to find the equipment at a good price. So that's, that's a workable option. And at the end of the day, you know, you could really negotiate there and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to bring in X, Y, Z piece of equipment. And then it allows them to expand their capacity in what they can co-pack. And that's a win for them as well. That's true. That's very true. I mean, again, it it has to be the right co-packer who's interested in doing that. But, um, and you know, I don't want to make it sound easy, but like, remember that there, there is some flexibility there if you find the right partner. Yeah, I'm just going to have to go deeper in the weeds and find that person. Yeah, you know, that the a lot all the good places that are producing cheese in this area are packed out. And, yeah, yeah. But there and then is somebody for me exactly. And then, Lynn, there was something else that I wanted to mention when you said one of the challenges again is that the co-packer doesn't want to take you on because you don't have the sales history, and the stores don't want to bring you on because you can't promise the capacity. And one of the things that you can do that I've I've definitely seen people have success with is you get a um, LOI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You basically, basically like who can who can you make promise first, and then you show that promise to the other party. And so typically we see it yeah. with with the retailers. A retailer will, you know, hopefully like you get this in writing, right? It needs to be in writing somehow, where it's like we will place a purchase order for mm-hmm. X Y Z pallet number of pallets in Q three. If you know, when you have the production capacity. So then you take that to the co-packer and you say, okay, look, like, you know, HEB is going to buy four pallets in August once I have production dialed in. And and you kind of use that to that's exactly yeah, that that's mm-hmm. a great way to leverage. And that's what yeah. I would plan I yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing next step. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Lynn, at some point in in our student group, we could brainstorm some like um, fun exclusives that you could do for that retailer or like whatever to make them even more excited to partner together. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I could. I mean, you're, you're the flavor queen. You could definitely do some exclusive flavors. Yeah, I can do exactly. Like that's the thing is with HEB. I was in the, I was trying to get into the quest for the best. If you get that contest, they want a five-year exclusive, but I only gave them a certain number of flavors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But they can find that, but the promote, but then I promote those flavors and do lots of fun things with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's fun. Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to help you strategize that. Oh, um, I, I can't, I can't wait. It's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be some fun. <laughs> yes. Okay. Let's talk about your last one. Now that we're starting to talk about flavors. Wow. Well, the issue, um, as I mentioned before, when COVID happened, I increased number of SKUs and I increased the bean. I have a bean dip and I'm working on a smoky black bean dip. That's a New Mexican flavor that I'm working on. 
I have another one that's a, that's a lime garlic one that's sort of like a margarita flavor that works with margaritas. So anyway, I've designed them to go all with adult beverages, but they Love are it. they can be perfectly paired with any of the cheeses that I've got. And then I also have some dips, like a pesto dip and toast toppers, but those are lower price points. But the challenge I have is that two weeks ago, kapow, all of my cheese prices jumped up 30%. And I'm going, so it didn't happen during COVID. Why is it, why are we have cheese issues now? And I don't know if they're real because they always, cheese prices always jump. The, uh, they start just before Thanksgiving. They, they mm-hmm. kick them up and then they drop after January 1st, yep. the holidays. Yep. Well, I don't know if they're going to go down. Now, 30% increase on my cheese base. That means all my premium things, my cogs are higher but fortunately on my others, they're lower. So it's right. like, it's unsustainable it. yeah, yeah, to, exactly to like, increase your cogs by 30% overnight. Yeah. I, how can you do that? I mean, it's just like, I'm just like bleeding here, yeah. but still going. Yeah. yeah. So the question really is what, what do you do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do I increase my, do I have, or do I have two lines? Do I have the premium line and do I have the lower price line that, you know, I, I don't know. So, so I think again, like you've got this, a lot of these challenges are tied together, right? Yes. Like if you, at the end of the day, if you can't produce that second line because you don't have your production and your co-packer sorted out, like that's where the conversation stops. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I, I do think Lynn, like figuring out the co-packer and figuring out, um, figuring out the supply chain and the, the operations is, mm-hmm. is really important before you commit to expanding into a secondary line. That, that's, it, that's true. The only, the only good thing is on the lower price skew items, they're cheap, they're easier to make. And yeah. so it all, it's, I can find somebody to make those a lot easier than mm-hmm. I can find the premium line of the cheese. Mm-hmm. And because, I think there is something to be yeah. said yeah. You know, I'll say this loud and clear that if you can sell your, if your best sellers are also your highest margin mm-hmm. products, like that is something to celebrate, right? Yeah, it is. Well, we're, we're working, we're increasing the, we're increasing the sales margin right now. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to, I'm going to point out a, a challenge that you'll have as you continue to expand different SKUs. Oh, Allie, another challenge? Oh, how how can that be? Oh, no. (laughs) Well, let me remind you that a cheese dip buyer is often a different buyer, like a different person than you know, a toast topper or a pesto or no, a it's, bean it's, dip. It's deli versus grocery. It's deli versus grocery. And you know how hard it is to get <laughs> the first person to buy, to call you back. And so just know that when you're expanding, when you're adding in those different, essentially different categories, you're doubling your work. So you know, just in terms of nurturing, establishing and nurturing those retail accounts. So uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> you're well aware of that. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Fortunately I'm dealing with small stores, smaller family owned. Yeah. So it's, it's the same it's person for now, or like it's, yeah. it's easy enough uh, for now. It is, but, you know, these small stores are coming to, here's what the, one of the owner of my best, my highest volume, he comes in and says, um, I, I, your top, those top three that I'm selling, like, you know, 
between two and three dozen a week of. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, um, bring lots of those and bring more of the other varieties. We'd like as many varieties as you have. So I'm just going, what? It's like totally backwards. I'm going to tell you, and I, again, I know you know this, but I'll just say it. I'll just say it here on the podcast. <laughs> say it again. That you always have the ability to say no. Yeah. And, and, right? and I, boundaries, I, I, that's an issue for me. So yeah. And it's, and it's tough, right? Like when you see sales, when you see sales and that buyer is saying, Hey, like, can you do this? Can you do that? Like, obviously you want to have a good relationship with them. If they're right. asking for more product, like usually that's a heck yes. Of course I want to deliver more product. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't make sense for your business model and it doesn't make sense for your production, that's, that's an unsustainable heck yes. That's right. That's that's absolutely right. Because when I look at how much time it takes to make this versus that, you know, the time actually it's it's they're the the cheaper ones are actually faster, but mm -hmm. but it's still a time issue. Yeah, it still yeah. takes time, right? Yeah, so, it's still a time issue. I'm having to pay the people to pack it, make it, take it, label it. It's just until I'm in a, you know, until I'm in a manufacturing facility, it's a no. But yeah. I'm also, what I've also done with something you mentioned on the show was when you've got this many flavors is working things on a, on a seasonal basis. Mm -hmm. So yep. for this, yeah, this flavor, like for example, right now I've got apricot going, apricot and blueberry. Well, apricot and blueberry are saying well, but then next season we're going to do raspberry and something else. Yep. So, yep. and so that, they better buy when they see it because it may not be there next time. And so I think right now that strategy is working for you because of the size of retailers that you're in. Mm -hmm. And so Lynn, I think, I think we can see this as a, as a golden opportunity for you to test and mm -hmm. really, really analyze your numbers, both from, you know, a sales perspective, a, an operations perspective right. and a margin perspective. So you can make some decisions. So you can make decisions right. based off financials and based off numbers rather than just like, Oh, I think this is selling better. I think that I should do yeah, this product. Like, I, and it's, you know, it's just like children. You love them all, but, <laughs> but I've got, to, you love them all. And there's my personal favorites, but my one of my personal favorites didn't sell in this area of the world. Yeah. It'll sell up in the Northeast, but it didn't sell here. Yep, exactly, so, exactly. And, and so unfortunately, it's it's a hard decision, but I'm going to have to I'm going to have to prune in yes. order to succeed with the big ones. Yes, exactly, because you know that again, we'll use HEB as an example. They're not going to bring in 14 of your SKUs. No, they're going to try two. Yeah. Exactly. So we better figure out which ones are going to work there and make them count. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, and hopefully they'll take the two and I know which two to go for the premium, but for the lower thing, I know what, I think I know which ones to go for that one too, but yeah, I go back to the numbers. Yeah. Right. And again, you know, we're recording this in the summertime. You launched them. What? Like, late March, early April, you know, you, you could continue as, as is for the next couple months, you know, through, through 2020. And then you make some hard decisions based off, you know, three quarters of a year of data 
which will help you figure out how to move forward. Yeah, that's, yeah, that will give me an answer. And, and I think once again, I'm just going to have to get down, as you said, it's the cogs, but it's also everything, mm-hmm. the operations, the margins. Yeah. I have to just look, look, just, it's, this is all, this is all part of growing up. I have a, you know, a really good company, right? <laughs> I love it. Yes, it totally is. That's, uh, gosh, being a business owner has a lot of moving parts to it, huh? It's hard. I mean, this is, this is not, you know, I, it's just, I'm having to learn, as I've told you before, I'm having to learn a totally different skill set because coming out of the television news industry for 20 years, and, and working in marketing and working with socially conscious groups and writing books and PR and stuff like this, you're dealing with, I'm, I'm, I'm in the C-suite already and telling the minions what to do. Now I am the C-suite and I am the minions. It's like, yes. you know, I, I mean, my boss is so mean. She never gives me a vacation. I don't get this. So like, I'm, having to re, I'm having to relearn a whole, I have to think differently. And I'm having to change entirely different business practices because in the news business, you're reactionary to what happens of the day. It drives you. Whereas this, you have to drive by forecasting and everything else. And it's a way different process. But it's a good learning experience. You know, it's yes. keeping, keeping, me, keeping, me, keeping me awake here. Exactly. Uh, Lynn, I... I feel like we could talk for another hour. Yep, sorry, I know. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna end it there because I feel like we've we've we did our rapid fire. We gave you some you. clear Thank points you. on where to go from here. Yeah, so I, when, I really do, I think I'm really feeling good. I have an idea about the customer. I really like the socio the psycho demographic. Yep, I'm I know what to do with the copac or what to go yep. there. And especially, I'm going to go on partner slate right now as soon as I get off and. And I've got to just keep working on the analysis that you've been teaching us. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Good, 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 good. I can't wait to check back in with you. (laughs) I mean, maybe we'll have to do uh, an episode round two in a couple months and see where you are once you've made some changes to your business. Hopefully I'll have a co-packer by then. Yeah, that would be, that would be fun. Okay. So that's, that's, that's one of my top three things on my list of things that I was going to do from taking retail ready. That was one of them. Awesome. Okay. So for people who are interested in Cheese a Pleasa, because I know, gosh, I was like, my mouth was watering as you were describing them in the beginning. Where can people find you? How can they stay in touch with you and your brand? Well, I have my website, cheeseapleza.com, and that's C H E E Z A P L E E Z A. Uh, cheese up, please. You kind of say it, it like, like you're a Rocky with your nose with cheese up, please. Yes. <laughs> we, we had to change that name. It was the only thing we get the trademark for, right? Ah, uh, yeah. And, and yeah. we also have our Instagram cheese up, please. And cheese up, please with, with, with Facebook and Pinterest. And we okay. do have videos on our website to show how to use cheese please in a variety of ways because it works 24 seven. Name your meal, name your snack. We can help you out. Uh, okay. So Lynn, I'm going to link all of those in our show notes today. Fantastic. And I got to say, thank you so much for being open to some on air live coaching. This was so much fun for me. I love doing it. And I'm just so grateful that you've put your trust in me and that you've found success in our student group. Well, I, I just so appreciate it. So appreciate it, Allie. And you know, it's just like, I, if I had found you two years ago, 
I would be telling you about my sales profits <laughs> and what's it like being in a big box store? Because, you know, for two years, I basically went around circle trying to find help. And, and this class is just for anybody. If they're concerned with content packaged goods or trying to make it in the food business, they better learn how to do this because these, this is something you don't get in college and you're giving it to us. And we really appreciate it. So thank oh, you so much. My pleasure, Lynn. Thank you so much. Okay, my whizzes. As always, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope that you found Lynn's story inspiring and that you were able to apply some of your own insights to your own brand as you think about scaling. So as always, I'd love to continue the conversation with you in our Food Biz Whiz Facebook group. We are over 1,200 members in there. So if you are looking to connect with your fellow food and beverage founders and sales managers, plus get direct feedback from me, come and join us. Find our group at foodbizwiz.com or linked in today's show notes, and I'll see you over there. So I hope you have a great week and I will see you back right here next Thursday. Have a good one and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Wiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.